Hello and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talents with me Fiona Abrahams where I'm deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations and inspiration of the many skilled and talented individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series I will be reaching out to the global community, exploring the industry through their eyes, asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on their futures and the future of the industry as we navigate the coronavirus pandemic. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 5 of Raw Talent, where we are heading into the world of design with creative directors Rob Warner and Craig Bugliss, founders of Spark Design Academy. Rob and Craig have amassed 45 years' experience between them and are proud owners of the award-winning design agency Spark. Together, they have designed a series of courses that can fast-track your career, built from the knowledge they have working at the highest level in the field. Spark Design Academy has been crafted to provide you with everything you need to develop your core design, presentation and business skills, with a window into the worlds of the luxury fashion and sportswear industries, giving you the advantages you need to forge a successful career. Hi guys, welcome to Raw Talent. Really nice to have you as my guest. Hi there, you all right? Yeah, good. How are you doing, Rob? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. It's a pleasure to be invited on today. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. So we all go back a very long way, about probably 18 years back to when I first, first worked in recruitment. And since then, you've both forged successful careers working in-house for brands, including Nike, Puma, Lululemon. I have like a continual Lululemon theme that goes on with various (laughs) people. Um, Alfred Dunhill. Um, When you reflect back on your individual careers, what are the standout moments? Who would like to take that question first? Oh, and Rob, I'll let you go. All right, then. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's there's so many different layers to to what would be standout moments. I think there are kind of the things that you could tell people about down the pub. Uh, remember pubs? <laughs> they used to be good, didn't they? Oh, <laughs> uh, Showing my age there. Um, but, yeah, so things like, you know, I was really fortunate to, to have lived in Germany and Holland and Canada, which which has been amazing. And then from a from a purely design perspective, working on products for uh, the World Cup for Formula One, I've always been kind of a real sports fanatic. So I went into the fashion industry with uh, yeah with the with the intention of wanting to to design sportswear. So to then be able to create for professionals has, has been incredible so you know there, there's plenty of name dropping moments that, that are great and that are very exciting but there's also a lot of the the smaller moments that that mean a lot as well so things like um working at lululemon there was somebody on the team and she was a junior-ish designer she'd been there a little while and, and not really made a lot of progress from a, an org chart perspective but her work was really good um and so I arranged a meeting with her one day to, to take her into the meeting room and sit down with her. And she instinctively thought she was going to be in trouble, whereas actually in the background, I'd, I'd figured out a promotion for her. Um, and, I mean, I, I don't know what your tolerance of uh, cuss words is on the on the podcast, so I won't say exactly what she said. But uh, no, she was... Uh, it was, was colourful. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she was just absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And... Uh, you know, and it was amazing, and it was that was something that will live with me for a long time. And the same with you know young designers when you get the chance to mentor them and you know help them further their careers and tell them they've been promoted or you know they've got an additional responsibility through an exciting project. I think that's the stuff that you probably don't talk about down the pub or with your mates, but on a personal level, it's you know things that really fill me with a, a lot of pride and a lot of excitement. It's amazing. Really nice story. I love things like that. How about you, Craig? What would be your what would be your answer to that question? 
Well, probably very similar to, to what Rob said, really. Um, and as much as I think the comparisons that we draw upon probably is what makes myself and Rob tick so well because we, we have a very common uh, mantra that we work from, if you like. But, um, yeah, standout moments, yeah, it's got to be working for Nike and doing the Brazilian uh, World Cup winning kit. That's certainly something that stands out. But kind of, I would say things like working for Alfred Dunhill because it allowed me to go back to where I actually started in the industry, which was I started off from men's fashion, graduating yeah. from the Royal College of Art. Yeah. Um, and I kind of fell into to sportswear, if you like, and that's it was a kind of happy fall in as much as I've always loved sport, I've always been around sport, but I'd never really thought about going into sport as a career as such. Yeah. But then because of the way that trends have changed, that whole fusion of sports and fashion have kind of collided and I've been kind of sat bathing in the river of, of both currents, if you like, and it's been great. Um, but, yeah, certainly things like working for Alfred Dunhill was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, most recently we did the Origins collection for Bellstaff, which was really good. But um, I have to echo what, what Rob said in as much as probably the highlight of the biggest highlight I can think of is when we did something that we'll talk about later when we get into the design academy. But um, it was something that we came up with um, when I was a, a creative director at Puma. And it was this metaphor called the journey. And it really was working with all of my direct reports and figuring out how we retain talent and how we basically help people exit the business if they weren't happy working there, which sounds really ridiculous. But, you know, if the paths weren't aligned, um, we were totally cool with that. And all it was about was making people happy in their work environment and basically seeing them progress. And there's a ton of stories we could talk about that, you know, people have then since moved on to bigger and better things. But that is, to Rob's point, one of the biggest highlights you can ever you know, you can ever achieve is seeing someone that you've mentored and you've you've worked with growing to being, you know, a, f a firm leader in their own in their own absolutely. right. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think that's it. I think that's what drives me on. Just the incredible feedback from people over the years. I've always worked in a very different way to um, traditional recruiters, um, having been on the receiving end of many horrendous experiences myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's very much about the people, encouraging people, bringing people together um, and seeing people excel and helping them when they're stuck or they're scared or they're doubting themselves, helping them get through those moments mm -hmm. and um, find their rhythm. I think it's so important. So, yeah, it's, it's all about that alignment and, and togetherness and being on the same team. It's the most important thing. So, yeah, I really, I guess that's why um, Spark jumped out at me. So, um, yeah, it's brilliant. What mm. brought you together in 2016 to actually found Spark Design Agency? How did it come about? Well, I think that was, um, well, between myself and Rob, we'd always talked about working together again. Um, you know, we first met when we were at um, Puma. And um, we got on like a house on fire and, you know, so much so that I was the best man at Rob's wedding and all those sorts of things. And, you know, we've shared lots of great memories together. And we kind of always knew something would happen at some point. But um, as Rob was exiting out of um, a career over in Canada, I was doing the same down in London with um, a company I was working for there. And... I think I was sat in a, an airport, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Rob, you were the same, and we mm. said, no, no, yeah. what are you up to, and how's things going? And we just started talking about, you know, our careers and what, what we'd been through, and we're like, God, it would be great if there was something like this. Um, and I certainly, from my perspective, through a really bad experience of launching into a, into a project with Puma back in the day, um, we were asked to go into a particular sport, which I'll, I'll leave unnamed for the sake of um, this this uh, interview. <laughs> um, but let's say it was it was a really trying project to go into. And um, what we realised out of all the global 
members within that team, and we must have had 80 um, apparel designers, probably the same in footwear and half of that again in um, accessories. And we were asked to go into a particular sport. We, we basically didn't have any staff with any experience of going into it. Mm-hmm. So that was really the light bulb moment, if you like, for us to recognise that really you're only as good as the team around you. Always. So when we decided to set up the academy, um, sorry, the, the the spark business, if you like, it was simply how do we how do we get access to every designer that we would need to answer any brief that was thrown our way. Myself and Rob being the curators, if you like, of taste and you know the creative directors of the brand if you like so everything will always funnel through ourselves but how do we get access to it so we started throwing that around and we started talking about the brands we could talk to the manufacturers we could talk to you know um, suppliers of fabrics because we've sat on the other side of the fence as creative directors and as businesses have come in to us to try and present to us Nine times out of ten, they don't turn up with the correct tools to sell their vision of what they could see their particular wares doing for that particular brand. Absolutely. So we we started thinking that through as well, thinking, well, you know, we could really help these people. So we just simply started making some inquiries around would designers be interested and could we attract them to come and work for, for Spark and myself and Rob and I think it's fair to say our inboxes just got absolutely smashed within about yeah. a month of, of, of seven. In about ten minutes, really. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's and it's been great. You know, the reception and the response to it has been phenomenal, really. Um, so the ta- the talent pool was never the issue. Um, it was then just getting businesses t- to think a little bit differently, in as much as you don't have to have in house staff to be able to go after particular projects. Um, so You need yeah. business to, businesses to treat it as a project and understand that they could outsource the resources they needed. Yeah, to some extent. And, um, you know, we've got examples of that where we work for certain businesses and they really acknowledge what we brought to the table. And it was heaven sent to a lot of, a lot of companies because they just didn't have the capacity to do new projects simply because they were you know, service and shareholders doing the day-to-day, all that sort of stuff. Also in-house, you, you build your team up to to meet the needs of kind of the work you've got on or, or what's projected to come. So if a, if a new opportunity arises, which is happening faster and faster at the moment, that, you know, some of these new opportunities that appear, they're not as predictable as they were 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And how do you flex and respond to that and meet that yeah. opportunity and then move on to the next thing? So it's yeah. kind of two streams of work, really, of the, the predictable yeah. work that you know, you know you're going to do in season, and then the other stuff that you know perhaps isn't as easy to see coming. Absolutely, absolutely, it really I does. Even, I even remember, I even remember going back to my days at um, at Puma. Yeah, you know, for us to hire in a member of staff. By the time you paid for all the holidays, their contributions to various different things, insurance Absolutely. and all that sort of stuff, the end figure that you were looking to negotiate with them, it was arguably at least a third, if not double, that on the back end. Yeah. So therefore, the flexibility that we have to come into an organisation, they don't have to worry about anything like that. Well, plus the time it takes to, to source that person and... Yeah. You know, get them out of wherever they're working and then get them onboarded into, into yeah, exactly. your brand. That's a massive process, yeah, isn't it? It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. 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 No, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, and at Spark, you join the dots between consumers, brands, and manufacturers through insight-driven design and innovation. Tell us a little bit about the intention and the outcome behind one or two of the most impactful projects that you've worked on. Well, I think for us, we always start with what consumers need and what they want and what they're doing. Um, and that's, I guess, something that we've probably learned from working within sport, but it's it's applicable across all, all areas of life. So, um, Yes, absolutely. You know, we, we, often, we often get asked, you know, well, what's, what's on trend? And our point of view isn't 
usually, oh, well, it's high-waisted trousers or it's this or that. It's more what are people doing and what's what needs is that creating. Yes. And then obviously we're, you know, we, we're influenced by style and we like to, to set trends in our own right. Um, but the, the insight-driven aspect of what we do is just to, just to make products that people want and add, add value to their lives. So um, an example from within probably an emerging part of the, the business within eSports was, was doing some work for Gamertech. So that, that brought together all three of those areas of, of consumers, brands, and manufacturers. So it was a manufacturer that approached us um, with technology that they'd got, and they, they were looking for help in terms of how to adopt that into a relevant marketplace. Um, and they'd done some research around esports athletes and gamers and found that um, health and wellness wasn't really being addressed in as much as the types of injuries through repetitive strain injury, tendonitis, back problems, things like that that can be picked up by people that are being paid to play video games professionally. Um, and so we were able to build upon those insights, take that uh, manufacturing technology and, and bring the two together and package it up in a way that they could then take to brands to, to be able to sell them on the idea of, hey, there's this huge customer base that isn't addressed. It could suit your brand. You know, we've seen everybody from Nike and Puma to Louis Vuitton getting involved in esports over the last 18 to 24 months. Yeah, it's big um, business, isn't it? Yeah, massive, massive. And so yeah. and I think lockdowns probably helped that. I bet it has. And for anyone listening who doesn't know much about esports, how would you describe the, how would you describe, describe how this works? So it is, um, yeah, literally people that are pre uh, paid professional video gamers. So most people will be familiar with the likes of FIFA or Fortnite or uh, Call of Duty games like that. Um, and there are folks out there who are exceptionally talented at playing those games. Um, and so they get picked up by, by teams. They'll go and compete in, in competitions. Uh, Pre-COVID, they were playing in huge arenas, so they're, their screen that would be a normal video screen at home is, is projected onto a huge screen in the arena. It's beamed around the world on various streaming channels, be that YouTube, Facebook have now got a gaming channel set up through their portal. Twitch is another big one. Um, and so it's, to all intents and purposes, it's like watching a real sport. You, you make yeah. your favourite team, your favourite athlete, and you're watching yeah. them do something that they've trained hard at and, and become good at. Um, yeah. And then you may hope to replicate that if you play those games yourself. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, I wouldn't say it's a rapidly emerging business because it's been around for a while, but the, the, current, the current growth trajectory of it is absolutely astonishing. Wow. Um, Interesting. So it's, it, was, it was helping. So many companies were trying to jump into that space, but without really knowing, they just saw the pot of gold and didn't really know. <laughs> You know, that was it. It's like, oh, well, we can make some money here. What should we do? Yes. And so our role with the companies that we've worked with in that space has been, well, how can you how can you make yourselves relevant? Who cares if you're in this space or not? And if yeah. nobody cares, then there's no point being there. Absolutely. Um, which has been, yeah, really, really helpful to the brands. We've enjoyed it. Um, but then I guess, I mean, there's a – our first access point through it was through a manufacturer with a technology, whereas mm. the, the other way that we go about bringing insight into the into the industry is by working directly with brands first and then manufacturers second. So it's probably worth Craig talking a little bit about the work we did with Bellstaff. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, um, that was that was an interesting one, and as much as um, there was the HR director had gone from. Dunhill, a good pal of mine, a guy called Andy Fitzgerald. And um, it was a chance meeting where we'd actually met up just with a few ex-Dunhill um, people. And I was chatting to him saying, oh, how's it going at Bellstaff? Oh, yeah, 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 no, it's great. And I was basically saying, well, why have you guys stopped innovating? And he said, well, what do you mean? We, you know, we do leather jackets and wax jackets. I'm like, yeah, but that's not really innovation for today. I mean, yeah, surely you can do lots of innovative things with wax and leather, but simply Bellstaff weren't really doing anything at that point. Um, so I said, look, would you be interested in trying to set up a meeting with ourselves and 
Gavin, the CEO, a guy called Gavin Haig. Um, and he said, yeah, of course, you know, if you've got an idea and you've got a concept, why not? You know, I'll get you, I'll get you some FaceTime with him. And um, so me and Rob kind of sat down and discussed where we would take them. Um, and we had a pretty solid idea as, as to what we wanted to do. Yes. Um, we had a meeting with, with Gavin. And I remember going into his office, he says, right, Craig, you've got five minutes. He says, I've got another meeting to go to. And uh, we sat down, we showed him the presentation, and it was all about, you know, modernity, really looking to the past, but then how do you take it forward with innovative fabrics and techniques and manufacturing, all that sort of stuff. And um, we pitched it as Origins. And, um, yeah, the rest, as they say, was history. We... We basically signed a deal, I think it was pretty much that day, with Andy Fitzgerald to do basically that collection, which was a series of jackets over however many seasons we ended up doing it with them for. And, um, yeah, it was great. Uh, they put a lot of marketing behind it. They put a lot of energy behind it, and the sales went through the roof, and lo and behold, they got increment, incre- incremental business Um from new new clients coming through the door um, who they weren't really attracting at that point simply because they weren't addressing that younger guy who wanted something that was a little bit more urban and probably would wear it on a on an urban cycle as opposed to a motorbike. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. Um, but what was interesting about that was, so we'd set that up, but through our connections with the manufacturers, we put them in touch with a uh, manufacturer in, in Portugal that we've known for many, many years, which they didn't really have a relationship with at that point. So we brought that team to the table. Same, as well as that, we were working with a, a, a seam tape manufacturer called Beamus out in the US, who was a client of ours. So we brought them onto the table. And we were also working with another fabric manufacturer out in Italy called Euro Jersey. So effectively, with us sat in the middle, we had Bellstaff, Euro Jersey, uh, Bemis, and the manufacturer, which is actually called Petrotex, based out in Portugal. And we brought everybody to the table to create the, the concept. So what was great was everybody was just all feeding off each other. And that was a perfect example of joining the dots, where we kind of came in as a creative design agency and then just linked everybody together to the, the greater good of the collection. Um, and yeah, it was it was great, you know. So as I say, Amazing. the proof was in the pudding. We had two of the best-selling jackets that season, so it was great, yeah. Very good. I mean, fascinating just to see how something, uh, how an idea can be um, pitched and, you know, someone gets excited when they thought, no, we're going to see this person for five minutes, get rid of them, and weren't really up for entertaining anything. And look mm. how you turned that around. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I think All it's... that collaboration. I yeah. think it is, and it, it, it's something yeah. we talk a lot about. You know, if yeah. you see what's just happened with the Arcadia group. Absolutely, been, my goodness. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. But, you know, there's so many brands out there that are completely irrelevant. Yes. You know, they have no kind of differentiation in product design it, it just seems to be a race to the bottom as far, far as price price um, yeah you yeah. know the, there's so price there's, yeah, yeah absolutely there's that and then there's obviously you know internet sales and everything that goes around that and how you're marketing yourselves and there's some yeah. brands that are just absolutely archaic yeah and you know you sit in meetings with with various clients and you, you get excited about what they want to do and where they want to go and Nine times out of ten, we're really lucky in as much as most of our clients are really forward thinking and the reason they've come to us is they want to get to somewhere new, they want to get incremental business, they want to try something different. But there's always one or two that are just, well, actually, we've seen a design, can we have something like that? And really, and that's, you've got, that's you know, where it's died, yeah. Well, that's where it dies. approach is... You're actually to. There's an amazing book by um, a guy called um, Ronald uh, Cohen, who uh, lives between the US, UK, and Israel. He's um, a philanthropist, one of the founding fathers of um, the whole um, investment and um, hedge fund movement. And he wrote a book called Impact, which was released this year. I happened to turn the TV on one lunchtime and he was just randomly being interviewed 
Um, and I downloaded the book before it was released, started to read it, and I was like, oh, my goodness, everybody should read this book. Because mm. really what he talks about is the future of business, which is based on impact-driven initiatives. And he says the way things are going to change, which is, as we can see from COVID, is based is happening at a rapid pace. Um, businesses are going to need to be accountable for their social and environmental impact. And in this book, he showcases some of the absolutely incredible things that people are doing. Um, hedge funds and investors want to invest in um, impact-based initiatives. They're not interested in the old school generic business models. They're yeah. all about profit and profit first. Yeah. That's what he talks about. That's just dying and yeah. at a rapid speed. What, what people want are um, businesses that consider both the social and environmental impacts of what they're doing. So business mm. for good. And he showcases in this book some incredible, some incredible things that are going on around the world in a million different contexts, mm. um, from health to fitness to, um, you know, saving countries, you know, huge things, small things. It's incredible. Yeah, well, I think if you think back to what we were talking about earlier with the way that we've even set up the Spark yeah. um, design consultancy business. Yes. You know, working with very, well, basically working, we, we've got no overheads. We've That's got right. no swanky offices. We, you know, we're not asking clients to pay for our staff's salaries or, or rent on our properties or anything like that. We're completely agile and totally free to roam wherever we want. As long as we've got, we're, laptops with us um and that is the way it's going now so if you think of yes. if you could say to all the big businesses out there to say look decentralize your teams if you like as long as there's a common ground where they come to meet and they exactly. share you know thoughts and but you can do that so well remotely now um Absolutely. we've got a number of clients that you know we haven't even met them yeah. we've never met them in person yeah. You know, and we've been working with them for over a year and a half. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, they're over the moon with what we're what we're delivering. So I think it's it's getting people to have a different mindset towards things. Um, yeah. and that's what we were hoping to do with, with Spark. And we have to say we're, we're five years into it now and we've we've never really looked back really. Yeah. Amazing. Really incredible. It's a fantastic, inspiring story. And I think um, you know, it kind of leads me into the next question, which was the fact that you bring this amazing array of experience and passion for fashion and design industries um, across luxury, athleisure, esports, and forward-thinking innovation, which sums up the transformation the industry has experienced driven by consumer expectations. Consumers want more. They want purpose and meaning behind what they're buying into. Um, and your focus is is very much on integrity, purpose, sustainability. Um, we can think about recyclability and obviously the advances in technology that we've just been speaking about. What do you think the future holds based on on this discussion? Well, I think you know there's kind of hopeful me and realistic me, uh, <laughs> although Craig might call it pessimistic me. But okay. I think going into like, the first lockdown and like most people were super excited about the stories of, um, oh, look how clean all the canals are in Venice and there's sheep walking in people's gardens in Wales and there's wild boars roaming city centres in Italy and, you know, like nature kind of claiming back control and it was like, oh, we've got the chance now to push the reset button a little bit. And then as soon as lockdown was lifted, it's just all, oh, there's people have been to the park, there's rubbish everywhere, people aren't taking their stuff home which was a massive disappointment, certainly for me. I was hoping that perhaps people might learn a little bit and, and change a bit. And then same this morning, I've read that obviously lockdown's been lifted overnight and uh, the huge Primark in Birmingham City Centre opened at 5 to 7 this morning. Oh, they had 100 customers in the first 30 minutes. And it's like you're that desperate to go and buy cheap clothes like you've not been able to for a month. Where are you going to wear it to? Everywhere it's still pretty much shut in Birmingham anyway. So, you know, I think there's there are two strands of of well of everything really. There's everything so seems so black and white at the moment. But 
you know, people that can't wait for things to get back to normal as in exactly as they were before. Mm. And then there's, I think there's another group of people that are really kind of looking at what the opportunity is that we've been presented with as a result of of COVID, you know, has lockdown been a a chance for a period of reflection? And it, it certainly was for us as to, well, you know what are what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How can we make an impact? What brands or, or manufacturers do we want to work for? You know how do how do we filter out people that are kind of match up with our integrity and purpose and not you know just whoever comes waving checks around? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I'd like to think that at some point the people that are super keen for kind of life as it was, you know, we'll, we'll be brought along into what a new world could look like. And we did some work around uh, Gen Z um, a little while ago and just like the research that we did around that left me feeling so hopeful about the That's good. What did you discover about Gen Z? Um, well, I think they, they question everything, but in a, in a good, definitely in a society now where everything gets questioned. Yes. Not necessarily with a great deal of critical thinking. It's more with cynical thinking. And so, you know, people will question things because it's my right to have an opinion rather than mm. Gen Z are more interested in, we, you can have an opinion, but it's not really worth anything unless it's informed. Um, and, I mean, we, we saw it over the last two or three years, maybe a little bit longer, where, you know, as a result of, climate change, of Brexit, of Trump in the White House and his imaginary wall and whatever else. We saw young people getting out there and protesting against it. And there's there's an image that that Craig and I fell in love with from from those protests. And it's um, a young person holding a placard outside the White House saying, if you build a wall, this generation will knock it down. Yeah, I I think that that was brilliant. And I think that speaks more than just the border wall. I think that's in general. Absolutely. The last thing we ever want in this world are walls. I think yeah. we should learn from the Berlin Wall how destructive that is. Yeah. Walls are not a thing. It's like we are one community and that message is so important. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I forget whose song it was that said we believe the children are the future. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, that, that certainly, wow. you know, where my head's at, I think there is a, yeah, there's a lot of excitement kind of coming through the generations now of like, now nah, we're not going to we're not going to stand for this. We've got work to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'd like to think that you know certainly there are going to be generations that are going to you know massively to to Rob's point break the walls down. Let's use that as an analogy. Um, but I, I I do like to be optimistic, and I do like to think that although we may be seeing you know. Um, people running out and going to Primark and all the rest of it. But I, I, what I do think about the world is it's getting sick of, you know, the, the kind of negativity that comes from press and media and it's, you know, 100 people outside of Primark and, oh, the, the world's rubbish again. And, you know, on the flip side, there's thousands and thousands of people doing runs for charity, you know, not acting in the way they are. Doing positive you know, things. Being really yeah. positive nah. about it. Yeah. So I think... The, the, the flip side to that is I do think there is positivity out there and I do think there's people making a change for the better. And I know through my own a- actions, you know, I'm seriously questioning, do I need to buy that? You know, yeah. if I go back to like generations of maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, I remember when I graduated from the Royal, I got sponsored by Trickers. I still have them to this day. And that was back in 1998. And I still wear them religiously. Now, wow. much like, um, you know, the famous sketch of Only Fools and Horses, the broom's being changed and the brush has been changed a few times. The same with yes. these. You know, the soul's been changed quite a number of times. But it's still predominantly the same shoe. And, and I think there is going to be a mind shift in people thinking about buying quality over quantity. And I think that is going to massively change. Um, and I think the question around sustainability and recycling, people have got to understand that more because it's all well and good talking about recycle this and recycle that. But 
if you've got a jacket that lasts you 30 or your lifetime, let's say, yeah. well, isn't that a great recycled jacket in the first place? So Absolutely. if you make really good quality product, it's not about recycling it. It's because we're recycling all the crap that comes from the places like Primark and these really low-priced manufacturers that mm-hmm. it, it's just crap product. Of course you it know, is. so it just ends up going into landfill. And because people don't respect it because they're paying £2.50 for five T-shirts, you know, I'm obviously exaggerating for the point there, but the point that I'm making is there's it's no disposable. there's no desirability. Okay. It's disposable. Yeah, of course yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and that's, that's the problem. And I do think that mindset is changing. Yes. Absolutely, because my, I've got a daughter who's 15-year-old and the her biggest retailer at the minute is Debop. Right. And that's where she's getting all her clothing from. And it's basically yeah. her and all her pals. And it's a community now where they're just basically recycling product. Oh, I'm selling this. Yeah, I'll buy that. And, and it's it's tremendous to see. Yeah. I mean, I can't even remember the last time she went out high street shopping. That's so there's the, there is there is positivity out there. And I think we've just got to keep focused on that. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I think that's. Uh, I think it's very much going in that direction, and I hope we'll see even more of a change in the mainstream media, where they look to really promote and showcase all the good things that are happening, and stop trying to attack everything. I think that will also be really helpful. I think that narrative needs to change, and that mindset needs to change. Yeah, I've downloaded an app recently called Squirrel News, um, which only delivers good news. Love that. So instead of I getting the alerts. Been, I love that. I have thought that that's something that we've all needed for years and years and years. It's like yeah. I'm so angry at the TV when I turn things on and there's a politician on a news chat on a TV channel and you've got um, you've got the presenters attacking this person and it's like I don't care whether you agree with them or you don't. Your tone of voice and the way you're speaking to this person is so disrespectful. No one mm. wants to watch that. It's like just let them say whatever it is, and then people will decide what they think about it. Yeah, exactly. But it's not for you to, to to take this aggressive stance and start, you know, trying to um, pick apart what they're saying and make it so uncomfortable that they'll never come back on. That's not how it needs to be. We don't want to see that. So, uh, yeah, and I, th- I, I think that. There's a there's a shift in there's definitely a shift in in, in youth culture. I mean, if you li- if you listen to any of the lyrics by an artist who I really like called Sam Fender, yeah. He's, he wrote I'm a song called um, Pound Shop Kardashians, and if you listen to the lyrics in some of his his tracks, I mean, they're absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and and, and, and he's and he's absolutely on it, and it's, yeah. it's I'm proud because he's a Geordie as well, which is great. Oh. But um, you know, there are there are Loads of really great positive things going out there, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, yeah, look at the likes of Stormzy, Dave, oh, Akala, all those guys, you know, and the, and the messages they're promoting. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, so positive. And that's so, yeah, we are, we are ripe, for, ripe for change, positive change. Definitely. And leading into that, is that what inspired the creation of Spark Design Academy? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, it was definitely we – We've talked a lot ever since setting up Spark as a business that we want to be about legacy and giving back, and, and that's how we've kind of edited out the, who we'd want to work with and what we'd want to work on. Um, and then, again, we used lockdown as this period of reflection and thought about, well, there's there's a lot of businesses that could benefit from what we do, but there's even more people that could benefit from what we know. Um, and so... If I think back to my university days, some of the most inspiring moments were when external speakers would come in and talk to us about what they'd done and how they'd done it, and yeah, you know, Definitely. even without I having yeah, if, even without having amazing, elaborate stories about World Cups and whatever else, you know, just having done something positive and they're excited and energetic and passionate about it, yeah. And so, you know, we thought, well, how can we? how can we create a little bit of that for for people? And, it, and it's not necessarily students or graduates. I think one of our greatest assets as, as individuals and as a business is that we always believe that we can learn. You know, we never think, well, you know, we've been in this game for ages now, so we, you know, we know how it's done. We just never do because you can't. It's changing it. all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we've, and, and we've both done 
some lecturing during our time yeah. um, working with with Spark, where we've we've gone into universities and done talks and whatever, and you know, it benefits us probably more than it benefits the students. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and so we thought, well, there's there's a great opportunity here to to pass something on, pass on a bit of our experience and knowledge, um, and and be able to to help influence people and, and build their own build their own pathways. Amazing. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's very much needed. One of the things I come across a lot are people all different stages in their careers, whether they're starting out, they're midway through, whether they're, you know, very experienced at management or director level, getting lost. And I have lots of conversations with people at all levels, you know, just talking about it's change that sometimes loses people or it can be an experience or an encounter or something that's happened somewhere. And people get lost in their heads with something that happens and sometimes it's just that ability to give them hope bring them back um, talk it through give them a different perspective so I think it's amazing that you're doing this because it's something that anybody at any experience level will benefit from yeah yeah definitely yeah it's brilliant tell us a bit about your courses and sort of what you know what kind of content are you are you going to be teaching well, we've got quite a number of them um, lined up. Um, and the first one that we're going to be potentially launching with is something that's really quite close to mine and Rob's hearts, just simply because of what we've done over our careers. So don't be surprised if a lot of the courses kind of follow in and sit you, if you like. But um, no, the first one we're starting off with is um, around football kit design and the origins of football kits and you know how, how you basically go about designing the uh, a football kit if you like um yeah and you know we go quite in depth into it so from the beginnings all the way through to modern day uh, technologies and all the things that are in between the you know pivotal moments of you know when it kind of went from cotton to polyester and you know when graphics were introduced and you know all the different milestones of world cups and European Championships and Champions Leagues and all that sort of stuff. So we literally go through everything and there's some fun learnings in there for everybody and it's kind of warts and all really. So um, that's the one that we've got coming first and then following on shortly after that, we're actually dedicating another football section, but specifically to women. Um, So rather than trying to cover it all in one, we've said, you know what, that needs its own section on its own because it's quite... It's quite informative of how sports brands used to um, address that whole world. So yeah. we're going to kind of open the gates to that as well and nice. kind of, you know, tell the world of how it was done and how it's now being done. Um, so that's going to get its own section. Then we've got other things around like presentation skills courses, <laughs> women in general in sportswear and how that is all influenced. Then we're doing sustainable innovation. We've got a thing called the journey We've got other things about outerwear and even things like talent retention. And so there's there's lots of little different things going on. And then we've got a lot of interviews and podcasts with leaders in the industry from, you know, likes of Burberry, Bang & Olufsen, all these sort of brands. Wonderful. But what we're also trying to do is we're not necessarily trying to go after, you know, the, the top of the tree, so to speak. What we want to do is get into the ribs who are actually – people who are living and breathing it on a daily basis so they can give people real shortcuts to get to where they want to get to and real insights as to to what it's like to work for some of these big brands. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, rather than maybe listening to Paul Smith talk about his experience, it might be better to listen to, you know, the senior designer that does outerwear for arguments. Because you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. And, you know, while I would absolutely adore to have... 15 minutes with Paul Smith because he's one of my idols but um, you know I just think with what we're trying to do it's a little more relatable bit, to have yeah, actually yeah. someone from within the team who's in the thick of it they've got the feet on the ground yeah exactly, exactly. from a practical perspective yeah. 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 yeah talking through what it means to make yeah. a line list how you do pricing yeah. you know how you talk to clients about contracts and yeah. how you charge people and all the all the things we just take for granted yeah, you know, and there's people out there thinking, "Oh my God, how much do I charge a person?" And oh God, I can't charge them that much. And we just basically dispel 
a lot of a lot of that basically and we're just saying look it's not to say that our opinion is the only opinion it's just this is our opinion and this is our experience so take it for what it is and yeah we're kind of running with it so lots more to come I would say really exciting I think that's fantastic that you're doing this it's um it's going to be such an asset to the industry um thank you well done. Yeah. Especially coming from you two, your, your careers are so incredible. I just think, you know, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to be able to share and offer to people. Um, for sure, um, you know, coming back into sort of this crazy moment in time, the fashion and design industri- industries do have resilience built into their core. I think they've been through all sorts of trials and tribulations in the past, perhaps not quite like COVID. How do you think things will bounce back from the pandemic? We have good news today in terms of um, the first vaccination rollout about mm-hmm. to start, which yeah. is um, exciting. So gives us a glimmer of hope. How would you like to see the landscape reset? Because we've talked about the fact that it can't just go back to how it was before. Mm. What should happen? Well, I, I think from my personal perspective, I think it'll be a bit of a slower burn than people are expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think while I, while I sympathise with the airlines, I do believe they're kind of waiting with bated breath until everybody starts jumping on planes. Well, I, I do believe they'll be... I think that'll be a slower burn than people are anticipating. Um, however, you know, if you've invested in stock in the airlines, I, I do think, you know, it'll it'll come back significantly. But I just don't think it's going to go back to what it was. I think we are going to see smaller companies kind of disappear and then other companies will come in and take them. Um, but by and large, I think it's, it is going to be a slower burn. But with regards to the industry, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think what it will do, it will it will get rid of irrelevant brands, and I think people yes. will get will come out of this and say, you know, I don't need all of that stuff, and I want to start to become much more of a ruthless editor. You know, even when it comes to things like gyms, which I think are a great um, experience for everybody to to go to, and and so on and so forth. But you don't necessarily have to go to a gym to exercise, and I think that's been a learning for everybody. So Absolutely. it's not it's not to say don't use gyms because I wouldn't advocate towards that in the slightest because I think they are great. Um, but what I would say is the stress level of, oh, I've got to get to the gym, suddenly yeah. dissipates all of a sudden. And then there's other tools you can use to to make your life that little bit more less stressful, if you, if you like. Absolutely. And I think there will be a bit of a change there. So, you know, It'll it'll be interesting, but my prediction is I think it'll be a bit of a slower burn. There'll be ruthless editors, and we'll we'll get rid of the brands that are irrelevant. Sadly speaking, um, and probably well, the only religion. other thing I would sorry the only other thing I would have probably add, which Rob might want to pick up on, is just the the global retail landscape. I think that is has already changed before we even came to COVID. Now I think it's on a on a very downward spiral for a lot of the ways we used to see it. But yeah, well, I, I, I think any any retailer or brand that makes people's lives better or easier has got a good chance of surviving. Yeah, and any that just serves stuff up just doesn't. I mean, you know, talking about yeah, Debenham. that has to be soul and it's back to impact and purpose. Um, yeah, totally. I was talking about Debenhams yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's so sad that they've got eyes. When was the last time you went into one? Exactly. And it's so it's more from the nostalgia and obviously people losing their jobs is terrible. Yeah, it's awful. Um, You know, and that's, it's more. That's the sad part. It's people. Yeah, it is. It really is. But the purpose of Debenhams, what was it? I've no idea. Yeah, exactly. Just Mm. serving up. you know, stuff, really. Just, you know, it it wasn't cheap. You can find on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't the cheapest. It wasn't, you know, the best. So then what is it? Mm. You know, it's, and, and same with so many of the, the brands and retailers that have, yeah. that have disappeared over the last few months and even pre-pandemic. Yeah. You, know, it's you can't just be a generic brand anymore, can you, that no. profitability above anything else. There's actually got to be meaning behind what you're doing. There's got yeah. to be narrative and a story behind what you're doing. That's what the yeah. consumer is looking for. And yeah, you've got definitely. to be able to engage online with your audience 
And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of, you know, these big companies disappear. It's why Arcadia's mm. fallen into the situation it's fallen into. Because well, I think that, that got with the got with the program. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot the party. There are a lot of brands out there that have got you know, really strong narratives. So a brand that I really love is Patagonia because of yeah. the ethos and everything they stand for. Amazing. But then yeah. I equally love, still love Nike. You know, that, that yeah, there are too. some great brands out there yeah. are doing some really good stuff. And I, I think the challenge that you have is, is when you've got, if we stick with Debenhams, there's just so many versions of Debenhams. Yeah. So there's it's only so many Debenhams that you you need so i think that's where when i talk about brands being irrelevant it's the brands that are looking at other people's product and doing either a me too product or they're trying to do it on a on a yeah a cheaper scale or you know exactly there's no real purpose behind what they're doing debbie's is like a reseller isn't it it has its own little brands within it but it's lost yeah and then i think because I was having a conversation with my wife about Topshop and she was reminiscing, saying, oh, you know, I used to love going to Topshop. And I said, yeah, it's true, but when was the last time you went in one? Yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. And it was quite expensive in the end. And my daughter, she doesn't even know who Topshop is. No. Now, if my daughter's 15-year-old, yeah. you would have said that 20 years ago, oh, my 30 God. years ago, when my wife was 15. Topshop I mean, was Top the field and end all. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. They've, they've just become completely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things because they've just not, as you said, they've not kept up with the times. They've not kept up with the times. They've been overtaken by Boohoo, by ASOS, um, you know, just that whole online presence, that engagement with the consumer, knowing who your audience is, all of that. It's all got lost somewhere. So, mm. yeah, it will, Topshop will get bought and it will get reinvented by someone, no question. Well, we hope so. Sure Hopefully by someone who it. doesn't have a big boat. Say again? Hopefully by someone that doesn't put all his marketing spend into a big boat. I hope so, absolutely. I agree with you more there. Yes, you echo many people's thoughts. And talking about sort of achievements and, and careers, what have been your biggest, your, what would you say, guys, has been your greatest achievement so far? Oh, um Rob, do you want to take that one while I have a think? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think probably trying to juggle between running a business, being a parent, and being a human, um, and and still still being able to to keep walking forward, doing all of that. Because I think something that I like to talk about when I'm when I'm talking to the students is that. And when I was a student, I always thought that people that had, had great careers were bulletproof, when in reality we are all, well, most of us are human, most of us aren't sociopaths, most of us have empathy and aspiration and, you know, all these other things that yes. that, that roll up to make us complex people and means that we can't just operate like robots when it comes to running Absolutely. a business or having a, an impressive job title or whatever else. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of pressure placed on us by ourselves by uh perceived pressure by places that we work you know even if you even if you aren't told that you have to answer your emails 24 hours a day if you've got a laptop and or a company phone with emails on it it's kind of implied pressure um you know and so just being able to try and balance all of that i would say is I would rate as being my, my biggest achievement, just being able yeah. to kind of keep walking yeah. forward and still being I able to look myself that. in the mirror. Yeah, I echo that. I think that's a really valid, um, a really valid point. What do you think, Craig? Uh, probably quite similar in as much as I think, you know, if you'd have said to us, you know, I don't know, say 10 years ago, I'd have, I'd have been running a multi-award-winning design agency were one of my best pals that have probably just laughed um you know but here we are we're kind of five years into it and to rob's point i think the biggest learning curve for me is you know you have this you have this idea in your head when you go solo you go into a partnership or basically go self-employed that you know you can you can make up your own rules which you can to a massive extent 
but the book really lies with you. You know, it's like it's like taking a golfer versus a football player. You can have a bad game in a football team and you can still win the game. Whereas if a golfer has a bad game, he has a bad game and he doesn't win. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. And that's the same analogy I would work with when you set up your own business. You know, you just have to live, eat and breathe at 24-7. You know, it yeah. never goes away. And it, it, it's arguably one of the most difficult things we have to do. And as Rob said, you then put on top of that the fact that you are home so the kids are always around you. You know, you've got bills to pay. You've got all these other added pressures, houses to build in my case. You know, it's it's relentless. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything because it does give you a bit of flexibility. And I think where me and Rob really complement each other is he's a night owl and I'm an early bird. So I'm up at all hours in the morning. So the business starts working quite early and we finish quite late. So again, like other agencies that might say work from nine or six in an office, we don't. We basically work 24-7. And it and it's it's great. I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, and if so much so that a, a pal of mine I was chatting to him about, and he's like, well, what's your exit strategy? And I'm like, I don't really have an exit strategy right. because I don't really want one. I love yeah. what I do. Yeah. And I'm so fortunate that I don't look at my job as a job. It's it's more a hobby. If I'm sitting down designing jackets for Bell Staff or North Face or whoever it is that we're designing for, you know, it, you're running into work. You yeah, know, you're running to get your desk to start yeah. working because you love doing it. Much yeah. the same as if we're working for a new client on a strategy or whatever it might be. These things are really exciting. So yeah. to think that that would be taken away from us. Yeah, it would be horrible. It's like losing yeah. your mom. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah. So I think from an achievement perspective, it is, as I say, it's just, you know, we've been doing it for five years now and we're not slowing down. So I think, yeah, it's it's probably that really. And, was not and the fact that Rob's been able to put up with this for so long. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I should have said that as my greatest achievement. I probably would have <laughs> if I'd gone second. <laughs> That's hilarious. What's been the biggest challenge by contrast, but the greatest learning opportunity? Working with him for five years. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd take that one quickly because I think the, 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 the biggest challenge that we've had is, is, is working with people that don't align to our core value system. Okay. So, when we first set up the business, we basically said we're not going to work with people that we don't get on with. And it sounds really... Can I interrupt you? Twee, I feel like. I've got to interrupt you. You two are so similar to me in everything you've said. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you've got to cut through. At, at some point, you've got to cut through the bullshit. And we, yeah, we basically, I'll not tell you what we actually said, what's actually written, because it's a bit blasphemous but the reality is we just don't want to work with people that aren't aligned to our value system and i think when the chips are down and you're working for someone that you really don't like working with there was one particular client that we had and we were dead excited at the beginning to work for this client um everything that they were saying why they wanted to bring one board and so on and so forth was great we lasted six months then we just said no chance. We don't. We don't want to work with these people. They, they were just arguably the, some of the worst okay. characters. Just, I think, just they had a bullying nature within okay. the industry. Um, okay. Certainly within the within the team. Okay. So you know they would shout louder, with a talk louder, they bully more. And you know I've kind of been there, got the t-shirt, and I've got to say at, at points in my career, I was probably guilty of that myself, which was probably the biggest learning curve for me personally, was you can't go on like that. You know, you've got to respect people. You've got to be, don't get me wrong, you've got to be authoritative when the, when you need to be, but there's a way of being like that. A way of doing you know, that. you don't have to diminish people. You don't have to belittle uh-huh. people. And I just felt that the culture there was just one of fear. And frankly speaking, I've had enough of all of that. You know, I just... We just didn't want it. So I remember I phoned Rob and I'd just come out one of the meetings. I said, Rob, how would you feel if I cancelled the contract here and now? He said, go for it. Wow. And I mean, at the time, you know, we, we had a number of clients on board, but, you know, we it wasn't 
you know, money wasn't streaming down the river, so to speak. No, you know, it wasn't an insignificant contract. No, yeah. it wasn't an insignificant contract at all, but we just felt so strongly that these guys just aren't aligned to what we want to do mm. and where we want to go. So, yeah, we walked away. So I think that's sometimes the biggest challenge in as much as the lowest common denominator of that analogy is, you know, I would never choose money over my value system. And as soon as you do that, it's, it, you're never yeah, going to be happy. You've sold your soul, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, that's a challenge. Happened. That's a yeah. big challenge, you know, when you know you've got to put food on the yeah. table, but you just yeah. morally don't want to do it. Then. Yeah, I, I, echo, I echo that. I've been there many times and I've closed the door and said no to so many things because I've come across people that I just feel like I won't be able to work with. Mm. So, And for me as a female sort of founder running a small business, I know what my I know what I'm willing to um, what I'm willing to do. What I, I know where how I work best, and I think it's really important to stick to your to stick to know what you to stick to what you really believe in. Um, you want to be passionate about what you're delivering, and if you're not on the same page with people, it's never going to be your best work. So mm. it's and you, if it's keeping you up at night, it's it's not the right thing. So yeah, I, I think that's really valid and a great, great, great example to share with people. So um, what are your goals for 2021? What's going to be happening? Well, I mean, I, I think just on a simple level, just be rocking and rolling still 12 months later. That's always my always my aim at the start of every year is like, well, yeah, you know, if I'm still still doing something yeah. that I love every day, then things, yeah. have, things have gone to plan. Um, yeah. But on a, on a more strategic level, I think definitely having the, the Design Academy doing well and the measure of doing well will be getting positive feedback from people that have signed up, done the courses and have experienced a transformation, which doesn't have to be you know, massive, but just that people have come away from it. We've like, oh, wow, I'm now thinking about this differently or I'm doing that differently or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that the people have, made a huge career change but just that something within them, has, them yeah something within them's clicked yeah. um so from an academy perspective you know that would be the big thing is if we can start getting some decent numbers of people yeah. doing the courses and, and feeling excited about what they've learned and then from from an agency perspective i think as, as we've talked about over the last few minutes if we can continue to work with people that we like on projects that we enjoy um then you know again I, w- I would deem that as a as a success um you know because it's as Craig said it's it is like a, a hobby that that pays the bills but I think it's also we are in a very fortunate position that what we are talented at doing and what we've had experience doing is something that we love and that you know enables us to to have a, a, a nice life and so um you know I think, that's why I start out by saying if we're still rocking and rolling by the end of the year because it's something that I cherish. I appreciate the fortunate position that I'm in. So if I'm still in a fortunate position at the end of next year with the added bonus of people saying, oh, yeah, I did your course and really enjoyed that and this was what I got from it, then you know, that will be a happy days growth over this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, nice. Okay. Well, my closing question is this. If you could hire any three people in the world to lend their expertise to your business, it could be the um, design agency or the academy, who would you choose and why? Wow. Who wants to take that one first? Do you want me to So I kind of give this a little bit of thought, and um, I would say probably the first person I would want to hire <laughs> would be me, Grandad. Okay. Um, simply because I never really got to know him that well. But he served in the First and Second World War, and I'm sure he would have so many great things to talk to us about around resilience and, you know, doing things for the greater good and all that sort of stuff. So I'd love to get my granddad back and get to know him a bit better. But then probably more recently, but again, it sounds a bit horrendous what I'm saying because the two people I've chosen are both dead <laughs> so the other guy was uh, Massimo Osti which yeah. much like Paul Smith is a ma- you know they were the two characters that got me kind of interested in fashion design 
Massimo Asti, who everybody will know is the, the, the original guy behind Stone Island. And, um, you know, he was such an innovative guy when it came to design, graphics, material, functionality, and all that sort of stuff that I would love to be able to just spend a few weeks with him just going through inspirations, fabric technology, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then I guess from a business perspective, there's a guy called Marty Neumeyer, um, who's wrote loads of like best-selling books, Zag, The Brand Gap, Scramble. <laughs> um, I've used a lot of his literature over my career to to help us steer um, teams and directions of brands, if you like. And um, I was so close to bringing Marty into um, a role that I had when I was at Puma. Um, I was speaking to another guy as well, a guy called Paul Arden. Um, and we were you know, trying to get these characters into the business to really help with shape it and where we wanted to go with it. But unfortunately, it never came off, so I never had the chance to work with him. So love to be able to work with Marty. I think he would be a real um, inspirational character that would give us a bit more focus with what it is we're doing with our lives. Nice. I love that. Really inspiring. Guys, thank you so much. It's been so insightful. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much for your time. And yeah, no, look forward to hearing you. Yeah, I look forward to seeing how the Academy evolves next year. It's really yeah. great. Get us back on in 12 months' time. We'll tell oh, you all about ab- it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. It has been fascinating chatting with Rob and Craig today and learning about Spark Design Agency, which was early to the party in operating a decentralised business model, enabling them to collaborate with a wide range of talented individuals specific to each project. Spark Design Academy is about giving back to anyone with an appetite for learning. We can look forward to courses that include men's football, women's football, sportswear, sustainable innovation, elsewhere and talent retention, to name a few, shared by people who are living and breathing the industry on a daily basis. Purpose and impact are the overarching message from our chat today, with the demise of the brands that haven't kept up to those that are innovating by bringing new product to market that reflects how people feel and what they want to invest in, with investment being the operative word. Rob and Craig are inspired by a return to considered purchasing, replacing disposable fashion, and by the consciousness of the younger generation who understand the value of swapping and sharing. They choose to work with people that share their values and are running positive work cultures. Running your own business means living and breathing what you do, but at the same time, if it's something you love, every day is exciting. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Alan Wickstead, founder of the Augmented Reality Service Plot, where we will be discovering how furniture can appear in our homes at the touch of a button. If you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of upcoming episodes, where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.